Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso, and this is a show to help you make creativity the filter for your life, redefine your relationship with fear, in other words, take it out of the driver's seat, and step more fully into the essence of who you are and claim your right to have a dream and take up space. And today, you're going to hear from an amazing guest. Her name is Kathy Wakili. She's going to talk all about how to turn your hobby into a actual business. But before I get to that, I want to do a quick creative check-in. And today's creative check-in, <laughs> it involves a little bit of a crazy story that happened to me over the weekend. But the, the long and the short of it is, if you see someone in trouble or someone who's fallen, creatively or otherwise help them get back up. This idea or concept was brought on by the fact that my hair caught on fire this weekend. Yeah, that's true. Never thought that would happen to me, but it did. And as you know, I have long hair. It's completely natural. I bought it myself. Um, (laughs) But I was at an event and there were candles there and, you know, I'd been hanging out in the room all night. I, I dance. Like when I get, I always say that's my non-aspirational passion. When I see a dance floor, I have to hit it and I have to hit it hard. And I will go until I'm just about ready to drop and then I'll take a break. So I was in one of those states. I'd been dancing all night, decided to finally sit down. I was sitting in a wooden chair, mind you. I didn't notice that my head and my hair were close to a lit candle, which in 2020, like, come on, businesses, this is a liability. I know it adds to ambiance, but let's just put out the fake candles. So all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and I smell burning. And I remember quickly, I recall this story my mom told me of when she was young, and she was in a sorority, and they were doing some sort of like weird sorority initiation. Sorry, mom, but you know I was never involved in Greek life. And her hair caught on fire. And all these women who were her sorority sisters started jumping on top of her to like put her hair out. And I, I'm like, oh my God, I'm on fire. I'm on fire. And what if the chair's on fire too? So like I fell out of the chair because I thought I should get to the ground, stop, drop, and roll. My fire safety training did not fail me. And when I did, like I patted my hair out and, and thank God it wasn't like a big, huge fire. It was just a little bit, but smelled terrible. It was singed. But people started laughing at me. And I guess, I mean, to give them the benefit of the doubt, I'm sure that they thought that I was drunk and fell out of my chair. But really, I was on fire and thought that my hair was acting as kindling and that the wood is also a flame enhancer. And so I didn't want to die, basically, is what happened in that moment. And it really, I mean, after people understood, not everybody, but after a lot of people understood what was going on, they asked me if I was okay and tried to help me. But their initial reaction was like, to leave me alone on the floor and laugh. And I thought, okay, first of all, like, that's like a brutal experience because like your hair was on fire. It smells. It's obviously a little bit embarrassing. And you were the only one to help yourself in the moment of trauma. But beyond that, other people not only didn't help you, but laughed at you. And this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I tried to figure out like why beyond like the social explanations of it, that moment was so triggering. And I think it can be like aligned to why many of us hold ourselves back from doing something creative because we fear that if we fall, if we fail creatively, that people will not only not help us, but sit there and laugh at us and revel in our failure. And it was just a a really good example. Like maybe we can't control how other people react, but it was a good reminder for me that if and when I ever see somebody in trouble, whether it's physical harm, like what I was going through, or some sort of creative pain or failure or fall or falter, I'm going to make sure to stand up and be their ally and tell them it's going to be all right because they'll probably be able to pick themselves up. I was very resilient in that moment. I went to the bathroom. I like yanked off any of my hairs that were singed. I came back down. I realized my knees were bruised, but I was going to be okay. I went home and I iced my knees and took a shower and got on with my life. But it would have certainly, the situation certainly would have been made better if somebody had offered me a helping hand instead of laughing. So I think it's just a good call to action for all of us to remember that when someone's suffering, while you might feel awkward or not know what to do, try to help because that is the reason a lot of us have fear in not doing something is because we think we're afraid of how other people will react. So let's go above and beyond when we see somebody going through any sort of pain, whether it's 
like literal like that or some sort of creative pain. That's the only way any of our dreams are going to come true is if we help each other and especially if we help each other through those down moments. Okay, now to our guest. Kathy Wakili is a best-selling cookbook author, restaurateur, chef, jewelry designer, reality star, mother, and wife. Of course, we all know Kathy from her time on the New Jersey Housewives, but her creative story sparked long before she ever came into our hearts via Bravo TV. Kathy's creative journey started in art as a child and shifted into hairstyling as her first big creative gig. After she had her kids, she decided to pour her creativity into homemaking and raising her children, but the yearning in her heart called her back to creative life. She slowly found a way to turn all of her hobbies into businesses by the way of a dessert line, cookbooks, her restaurant Pizza Love, a culinary school, and now her podcast, Eat, Live, Love, Indulge. She does all of this while keeping her family as her top priority and often even including or partnering with them to bring them into her creative endeavors. I first met Kathy when I was a producer at SiriusXM, and she came back into my life by the way of fate when she and her family ended up becoming close friends with one of my best childhood friends and former guest on the show, Maria DeSaro. I wanted to have Kathy on the podcast because she's a brilliant example of how to turn your hobbies into a career. She's also a deeply caring, sensitive person, so she has great tips for those of us who are sensitive empaths on how to simultaneously maintain an open heart while keeping your eyes open in business. Also, note that I was a guest on her podcast, Eat, Live, Love, Indulge, and my episode is out today. So after this, make sure you go download that to learn more about my creative journey. And she also adds some more details about hers there too. It's a great episode. From our conversation, you'll learn tips on how to overcome initial creative rejection, how to recover after family trauma, how doing reality TV both helped and hurt her creatively, how to turn your hobbies into a career, how to use your heritage to inform your creative life, tips for working with your spouse, and much more. Now here she is, Kathy Wakili. Thank you for being on the show. You are not only an incredible person, incredible creative, but you've been so supportive of Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I'm just really honored to have you here. Oh, well, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. And thank you for starting this podcast because it has really helped me get out of my creative slump that I've been in. And um, I think so many people can benefit from it. And I thank you for getting started. Aww. Yeah. Well, it's my pleasure and my honor. But before we get into all the juicy details of your creative story, I like to start at the beginning. So when you go back and trace the lines of your life and your creative path, what was the inciting incident of your creativity? I have to say, uh, you know what? My, my parents were both very creative people. They, my father was a shoemaker and my mom was a seamstress. And so they always did things with their hands. They came from that old world where, you know, they're first, they're immigrants and they did everything themselves. And that was something that was, you know, we were raised that way. And so we saw them doing it. Uh, they never called like a handyman to do anything. They did it all. And so it was, you know, whether it be gardening or whether my mother never, she always made clothes and my father made our shoes. And so it was something that we saw being done creatively, not just oh, the working with your hands as a labor form, but also as an outlet for creativity. And so we did that as well. Um, I re I think that when I really realized how much I loved it was, I think maybe the first grade or second grade that summer, uh, my mother sent me to art classes that the elementary school was offering. And I just felt alive. I just felt like everything about it, whether it was painting or whether it was, um, you know, sculpting something out of clay or whether it was just drawing, I just felt so alive and had the best time in those two months. It was, you know, like we would go to arts and crafts at the local youth group and, uh, you know, the, the, the day camp organization, that was my favorite thing that, to do. So I, I know that that's where it all started. And I, I felt really happy doing that kind of stuff. Oh, I love that. There's yeah. so much to break down from that story. One thing that I love about your creative path is that so much of it has been influenced not only by your parents, but by your culture and Italian culture. And I think 
it's something that a lot of us neglect to think about is like how can we take our heritage and put it into whatever our creative path is? What would be your advice for somebody? Well, first of all, like how has it influenced what you did? Because I know so many of the things you do involve your Italian background, but also what would be your advice to somebody on how to start to incorporate their heritage into their creative path? Well, I think that the like to start, embrace who you are, first of all. You know, it's it's something that everybody says and you don't really take it, you don't really dive into it that much, but in order to understand where you're going to go, you have to understand where you've been and who, and to understand who you really are and what makes you happy. So for me with food in particularly, it's the the people in Italy and along the Mediterranean, they lived off the land and it was so abundant and so plentiful with the gifts of, you know, mother nature that in itself is an art. And seeing something grow and, and, you know, what, what, what your surroundings give you. And so to do the best that you can do with those, those gifts. Right. So I think, you know, knowing that and understanding that, you know, you have all these tools that are around you. Why not use these tools and start like, like for me to go and go to Alaska all of a sudden and like learn. Yeah. I'd adapt. And I'd find something and, and find a way to make it work. But that's not who I am. So why not use something that's so familiar to me and something that I was brought up with and, you know, go with it and, 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 and take that, those tools, those gifts, and use them in my form of expression. Right. And, you know, there's something that came out, actually, I heard this quote at the Oscars this week, but Martin, or not this week, this year, but Martin Scorsese says the most personal is the most creative. And I think that your path is a brilliant example of that. You know, it's like kind of, if you don't know your own heritage, study it and then figure out a way that you can authentically bring it through your experience to a new generation. That's exactly what you've done. Yeah. Your parents were very encouraging of your path and what you did. But, you know, a lot of people struggle because they didn't have that familial base. So for right. people who weren't so lucky to have parents like yours or like you are, I know that you're an incredible parent to your two children. How Thank can they you. start to reparent themselves and kind of give themselves the self-love that they need to have the courage to pursue creativity? Well, my mother always encouraged like us to do whatever we wanted to do. If it made us happy, you know, go for it. My father, on the other hand, was more worried about stability. So right. as a kid, I remember him, not as a kid, like 16, 17, you know, when you start to decide if you're going to go to college or not. I said, well, I think I'm going to be an artist, dad. And he mm. goes, oh, that's really great. He goes, um, how are you going to eat? <laughs> so I was like uh I don't know I'll figure it out and then I mean I was a hairdresser and I always loved everything beautiful like making people feel beautiful making people look beautiful working with people to make them look beautiful I mean I I just loved it so that came very natural to me I was always good with my own hair my friends hair, my mom's hair my dolls all that stuff so (laughs) That was a way, and I, and I always knew I would do something with that because I, I, that was a gift that my, my parents gave me one of these Barbie heads one Christmas. And I, I, I played with Wait, that. Wait, you mean the one where you could like, it was like a big head and yes. you could style it? Yeah, those yes. were so cool. <laughs> it was the greatest thing. And I could put yeah. makeup on it, wash it off and do, do the hair and, you know, braid and this and that and always work with my hands, but make different hairstyles and stuff. And so I played with that every day for hours and hours and hours. And so I knew that I was going to do that to some extent. I didn't know I was going to make a full on career out of it, but I did love it. And it was just easy, but I did want to be an artist at one point. And so then my father gave me a reality check because that was always his thing. He always wanted Mm -hmm. to make sure that we could support ourselves, make a living, do what you love. Yeah. But be able to pay your bills and not have to, you know, depend on anyone. So uh, then I said, okay, then the hairdressing. And then he says, okay, so are you, you're going to go to college, right? Because your grades are phenomenal and you're smart. So you're going to go to college. And I said, well, dad, I'm going to be wasting your time going to college because I still want to just be a hairdresser. And I say just, and that's not fair. 
because <laughs> the hairdressers, I had a really great, very fulfilling and lucrative career as a hairdresser. Yeah. But- and hairdressers can make a ton of money, you know, oh, I mean, if yeah. you, if you have the right clientele and you know, you're a savvy business person like you are, it's a very lucrative career path, but you know, it took a lot of courage because I know you're very close to your parents to be able yeah. to not defy, but to stand up for who you were to your dad, because my mom did a similar thing. And it's not easy, you know, when you're a first generation, second generation sure. Italian person as a woman standing up to your father it takes a tremendous amount of courage. Right. It does. Because I, I started working when I was about 10, believe it or not, um, working with him in his shoe store. Wow. And I loved being with him and I just loved doing, you know, being around shoes. I have this, you know, obsession that started very young with shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I learned how the shoes are made and, and the whole bit. And So then my first real job was at 13 in a shoe store. And I love that too. I loved, you know, everything about the shoes and fashion and all that. So I said, okay, dad, maybe, um, how about if I go into, you know, into fashion, I'd love to work some, some way, some, somehow, maybe I could go into designing clothing. And so we went through the, you know, interviews at schools. I couldn't go to school in the city. I had to stay in New Jersey. There wasn't much available. <laughs> and then they told me, okay, so you'll, you'll graduate and you'll get a job in retail and you'll make about, I don't know, about $130 a week doing that. And I said, as an assistant manager or something like that of a retail store. And I said, well, I'm doing that now and I'm 15. <laughs> right. So, you know, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good with this whole school thing. I said, dad, I'm going to graduate from college or business school or whatever the the case is. And I'm going to be doing and making exactly what I'm making now. So I'm good with the whole school thing. Save your money. I'm going to just do what I want to do and be a hairdresser because I'm good with that. I didn't, as 16, I didn't think further and how the education would open the doors for me to other things. I think it's so interesting though, because you know, when, when you went to him with the dream of being an artist and then you picked that alternate route, which I'm sure you loved, but Mm -hmm. there was still that other glimmer in your heart that got crushed in that moment. How do you think that affected you through the rest of your life when you were going to like try something new? Like, did you have that thought like, well, maybe I can't do it. Like how did that kind of repression of the creativity affect your life? Absolutely. Because he would say, you know, like, just remember, there's no free lunch in in this world. You know, (laughs) he was Mm -hmm. like, he was very straightforward. So there's no free lunch. So whatever you have to do, if you want to be creative in it, that's really great. But figure out how that creativity could make you, you know, earn a living. And Mm -hmm. so, and if it's not, then it's just a hobby. And that's good too, to have a hobby, but know that that's not how you're going to make a living. So did that thought in your head hold you back from certain things? Sure, because I, in the beginning, when I was in, started, you know, a hair, I was a hairdresser and I had a great clientele. I was busy. I was making a lots of money and I was so thrilled and happy to do it. I, I, I loved every minute of working. I loved interacting with people. I loved seeing people on a regular basis. I loved every part of the business and I worked I don't know, about 50, 60 hours a week. And I was always happy to work extra hours and squeeze people in, you know, and he would say to me, well, you're working for someone else. Why don't you open up your own place? And, uh, you know, that whole apprehension of opening up my own place and failing, you know, always stuck with me, you know, and I was afraid that I was going to, he says, I'll, I'll support you and I will invest and we'll do it together and you could pay me back and I'll support and I'll pay for everything. And, and I know he would have, but I was just so afraid to fail and to fail him. Mm. And so I think that's a really important lesson for people that are starting out is don't be afraid to fail. Yeah. You have to be open to it because those are some of your best lessons. And if you're so afraid of failing that you don't do anything, you're also equally afraid of success. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I'm loving that you're bringing this up because it's, it's honestly bringing tears to my eyes having this conversation because 
I think it's something so deeply steeped in every immigrant culture that like there's that fear because obviously our parents and grandparents risked everything to come here and give us a better life. And they just, they want so badly to protect us, but in that desire to protect us, they also keep us from sometimes being our most true selves, or at least from the most direct path to our most true selves. And um, it means a lot that you're willing to talk about this because I don't think it's something a lot of people speak about. No, it isn't. And the other thing is that I want to, on a positive note, and this is maybe a character flaw on my end, you know what? I wouldn't have failed because my desire, my desire to make him proud was so great that I let fear stand in the way of something that I know that I would have worked even harder to make him proud. You know, right. In that respect, I, I, I was cowardly in that, in that right there. I let that fear overcome what I really wanted to do. And the desire to make him proud would have propelled me even further. So you've obviously overcome that fear now because you have taken so many of your hobbies, so many of your passions and turned them into business. How did you get to the place where you were no longer afraid and holding yourself back? I think, you know, having kids really puts things in perspective. You know, when you are trying to teach your children that they, they are capable of doing whatever they put their minds to uh, and go after it and achieve great things, you know, number one thing as a parent is you have to lead by example. And so if mm. I'm going to keep preaching all these things to my kids, how do I not do something to show them and because they're paying attention more to what you're doing than what you're saying. And so I think that put things in perspective because, you know, how do I, how do I show that perseverance? How do I show that I'm never going to stop? How do I, how do I teach them that the only way is by showing them? You know, and that brings up such a great point because I think I, It's weird. Like every single person I talk to now says the same thing that you just said. And I had this idea in my head my whole life that I had to wait or I have to wait to have kids until I have everything figured out because I don't want to put my desires into them and screw them up. And like, you know, I do think that there's merit to like having your number one focus be your kids, but I think that would happen for me anyway. And what I keep hearing people say again and again and again and again is that once they have kids, it kind of puts it, like you said, puts everything into perspective. Like, well, first of all, like, what am I really afraid of? Second of all, I want to be a good example for them. And three, it gives you a reason. Your children can become the reason to do what you do because you want to make them proud and you want to provide for them. Absolutely. And it's such a good reminder. I think though things have changed in the shift because we are constantly reminded of with social media is such a big thing in this world because you know we put mm-hmm. something out there I'm going to do this and then you have all these people paying attention to what you're going to do. And so that's the standard sometimes you hold yourself to as well because then you're thinking to yourself, well if I don't do this, I'm going to look like a fool. I just proclaim to the world that I'm going to do this. So it does hold you accountable to some respect. And so I think the young generation, if they take things, you know, if they take their word as important as the older generation does, you know, because a lot <laughs> of people just put that stuff out there and then they, they switch it, you know, the next week. But if there's something to be said about putting it out there and then, having to live up to it, you know? Right. So I want to get to your path a little bit more. So you were a hairdresser starting at what age, like 18? Yeah, right. So I went to a a technical and vocational high school where I learned all my academics and I also learned a vocation. Uh, I learned, yeah. So I was able to get my hairdressing hours. Instead of going to beauty school, I went in cosmetology. I took cosmetology class, and I was I was able to get all my training in high school. So, I finished in June, September. The test, the boards were around for me to take my uh, test. I took my test and I passed the first first shot. And I started working as a licensed cosmetologist right that September. And then, how soon after, or how how deep into your career did you meet your husband, Richie? 
I met him, so that was 18. I met my husband when I was 24. You two have partnered. I mean, you've got a beautiful relationship. It's enviable. And I I admire it and I look up to it. But you two have partnered on so many business ventures together. And that's like, honestly, my dream. I'm looking for somebody who I can not only like have a family with and build a life with, but since I love working, I want someone I can work with. So How do you think meeting him and partnering with him in life helped you increase your creativity? And how can we look for a partner? How can we know if we have a partner that will do that for us? That's a great question. Great question. So when I was working, uh, you know, when I first got married, I was working and, you know, love, you know, still loving it. And he was working, he was in, in business. He, oh, he has a great business mind. He, he, that's what he did. His, you know, he would start businesses, sell them, this and that since he's a kid. And he always, he understood business very, very well. Me, on the other hand, I don't understand the numbers and and the dollars and cents of business. I understand the creative part of it more. And so then when I stayed home afterwards, I had, we we decided that when I was going to be a stay home mom and he was going to work outside the house. And I realized my hobbies at that time were cooking and baking and entertaining and painting and making crafts that could actually be sold. I just did it as a hobby and I I had a lot of fun with it. And then when it came time for me to change it up and, you know, my kids were starting to be more independent and I was like, okay, what am I going to do with myself? I have to do something, you know, besides just cooking and cleaning all the time, you know, I wanted to do something that I could use the skills that I've, I've learned and, and, and learned how to really make into something wonderful, my cooking and baking and all that. And so he stood by me and he, I was baking nonstop and just giving them away. And he says, well, Kath, this isn't a business. This is a hobby. If you want to make it into a business, it's got to be smart. And so we were great that way. Like he took that side, you know, the, the, the dollars and cents and he, he helped me understand all that because he is creative to some extent, but he's much more creative with numbers, you know? And so right. I was able to do that. I was, I was able to find my creativity because I was a stay-at-home mom. And I, and I was able to really come into it more so because I was a stay-at-home mom and I, and I was able to uh, fine-tune everything because I had the time to do it. I wasn't working a nine to five and then coming home and cooking dinner and keeping a house and all that. I had the luxury of being a stay home mom, which I don't take a minute of that ever for granted. Well, yeah. And I mean, there's a, a few great tips from what you just said to break down. I think in general in life, we want to find somebody who has complementary skill sets, which you and Richie clearly have, but it sounds like even personally you have that, but professionally as well. And then you also want to like look at the things that you're actually passionate about. Like if you are kind of figuring out what you want to do with your life career-wise or creativity-wise, look at what you're already doing and see, is there a way to monetize it? Exactly. Exactly. I love that. So what would be, I mean, those are some great tips for moms out there who are kind of like looking to reinvigorate their creativity. I have a couple of friends who are deep in 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 the depths of motherhood. And I think that they kind of feel like they've lost themselves. And one of them is this incredible actress. Another one is a great musician, and she's also a visual artist. But I think she's having a real hard time figuring out because her kids are real young. I mean, they're right. uh, all under three, I think. And so they're trying to figure out how to find themselves again while they are also fully committed to being a mother. What would be yeah. your advice to them? Well, that right there is a hard thing to go through because I remember doing that myself. I remember when my kids were younger and I just was like, this can't be all that it is. You know, I'm cleaning, I'm cooking, I'm taking care of kids all day long. I'm watching their TV shows. I am, you know, that's all I'm doing all day long. And you get you know, if you get a chance to go to church on Sunday, it was like a big deal. And, you know, it's hard. (laughs) And so I started doing things in the house that I could do that made me feel alive again. And that was planning these dinner parties or making, I mean, I remember making 
tie-dye clothes or, you know, um, I was painting on table linens, anything to get my creativity out there. And then it was baking with the kids. And so I remember when the children's birthday parties just started, no, I'm going back, you know, quite a bit now. My daughter was only, I think a, a year old or so, and people are spending tons of money on cakes. And, you know, it was when Cake Boss just started, his show just started coming out and all that. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I can do that. You know, I made cakes my whole life. I could, I could do that. And so I made, I believe it was her for her second birthday. I made a Delmate 101 theme, 101 Dalmatian theme cake. And the whole party was that way. And my husband came home and it took me a few days to decorate it and all that. And he said, why don't you just go buy one? And I was like, well, why would I buy one when I can make it and make it better? Uh, and, and going back to what your parents did. Exactly. And so yeah, it's your creative lineage. Way. Exactly. <laughs> and then it was making little cakes and then it was making my son's dinosaur cake and then it was a Barbie cake and then it got into fondant and I started playing and making all these different desserts and cakes and, and people started paying attention. And I was like, yeah, it's, a, it's good. I've been doing this a long time. Is it that good? You know? And people were like, yeah, it's really good. It's not just that it looks good. It tastes really good. You're onto something. And that's where, you know, and I felt good doing it. It wasn't a job. It felt like so much mm. fun. I would get everything done and then I would, you know, I would get busy in the kitchen. So that's great advice. So basically in the little time you have, find ways to be creative, whether it's painting with the kids or cooking with the kids or like even finding a creative way to fold towels, whatever it is, and then follow what feels good and see what happens. Exactly. And if it's your forte to be more of a business person, figure out a way that you can creatively do something in your home to help others if you are a great manager. There's ways mm-hmm. you can manage, creatively manage other people from the time that you have being a stay-at-home mom. I love it. So when you were parenting, how did you, I mean, you're always parenting, even yeah. though your kids are adults now, you're, that never ends, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but when they were younger, especially, like, how did you foster that creativity in them? How did you encourage them to try new things and to view their life as creative beings? Well, for them, I would always do, I would do projects with them. And again, I would, they would come home from school in the morning, they would leave and they would come home and the kitchen would be a different color. Like I would paint the walls and, you know, I'd, I'd set up scaffolding, you know, all this stuff in the house. And they would be like, mom, did you paint the kitchen today? Cause it's a different color or the bathroom <laughs> was pink the other day. Now it's gold. What, what, what's going on here? So I would create, I would do these projects and a lot of times um, I would get so involved in them and then they would, you know, they would be involved with them as well. Like simple things like decoupage and I would get them involved in it and see what they like to do. And then during that time when, what, and it could have been baking or doing crafts or, or puzzles even when their hands were busy was a time where I could talk to them about what was going on, what they were thinking, because they weren't really paying attention to their, their words weren't, weren't censored as much. Mm. They were more free because they were concentrating on what they were doing with their hands. And so their words just spilled out and they would talk to me about what made them happy, what, what was going on at school, um, what they wanted to be in life. And so I, I, that was our time to get like a captive audience and um, understand and learn about them. Right. You're almost able to tap into their subconscious because they were, uh, it's like when you're driving, you know, you're like a little distracted. It's easier to have a deeper conversation. So something else that you went through that was incredibly traumatic with your daughter, Victoria, was when she was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I think that there's so many excellent lessons to learn from what you went through, but it was also incredibly traumatic. And so I'm wondering if you can take me through a little bit of that part of your lives and how you came out of it how you came out of it? Well, you know, God, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me, how did you do it? Like, how did you, you were so calm through it all. And I said, oh, I didn't do anything. I, you know, God carried me through the whole thing. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I prayed, 
I asked the right questions. I asked, I, I prayed a lot and asked for God to guide me. And I, I prayed for little things, you know, I prayed for, you know, obviously for her to be restored to, to good health, but I, re, I, I prayed for the doctor to make it to the hospital safely for his wife to receive him home with a, a nice dinner for his kids to get A's on, on their chest. So he'd be like stress-free when he entered the, the, the operating room. I mean, I prayed for everything and because it wasn't something that I was just praying just for me. I was, I was putting it out there. I just wanted everybody happy and everybody healthy. And, and then when she was home, I, I just, you know, like this gift of, of good health and that she, she survived the surgery that was like 10 hours, 10 hours the mm. first time. Yeah. And, and there were two uh, surgeries, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Same, yeah. The exact same surgery twice. And I think it might've been harder even the second time because she was 20. The doctor had to tell her the risks. And oh. so, yeah, I couldn't protect her from that. I couldn't protect her from knowing what the risks would be or could be. And so that was really the hardest thing. And then saying goodbye before she went under anesthesia, that, that, that was another thing. Cause you don't know exactly how she's going to come out. So your faith really comes into play quite a bit. It's everything. It's really everything. And the people and love and support from so, so many people made such a big impact uh, knowing that everyone out there was praying for her and wanted the best for her. It just, the energy from everywhere was, was wonderful. Mm. Well, that's a great tip for anyone going through something terrible. It's just, I, every time you get worried, you just have to give it up to God, you know, whatever. Yeah. You, like you, yeah. you have to be smart about everything, you know, pay attention mm-hmm. to the signs and pay attention to what the doctors are telling you and ask a lot of questions and write everything down. But then at a certain point, there's just so much you could physically do and then it's out of your hands. And there's something to be said about the prayer, the power of prayer and the power of prayer. The, the, that was a tongue twister. The power of prayer <laughs> numbers, you know, for the right. same, for the same, you know, outcome. And I know you've taken that pain and turned it into purpose with your work with the Children's Brain Tumor Foundation. Mm-hmm. How can we get involved and start supporting them? Well, if you go to uh, www.cbtf.org, it's a great organization that helps the families, not only the, the, the patient, but the families as well. And they provide so many, so much information, so much care. They provide different things for the family, for support for the family to understand what's happening. Uh, and also to give, to provide a relief for the family to just be normal for a day or two. You know, they have a lot of activities and a lot of programs for families to go and escape what's happening to their their child and think, you know, just, just escape it and go and be a normal family, a normal activity. So it's really, um, it's a great organization to become part of because, you know, a lot of, children go undetected and because mm, they can't they don't have the vocabulary to express what's going on yeah and they're so right. active and they don't know what's happening and so a lot of times it goes undetected unfortunately until it's already taken a big toll on their health so for parents we have to be the biggest advocate for our kids well i appreciate everything you're doing there it really is incredibly important work To make a shift, I want to talk about when you first popped into the public eye. Uh So you did it doing a reality show, New Jersey Housewives. Yes. I marvel at the fact that you did this. I mean, I think it was such a smart business move to be on that show, but I feel like you and I are very similar and you're such a sensitive, kind, caring person. Thank you. How did you handle being on that show and being thrown to the wolves? (laughs) Well, I, I had no idea it was going to be what it is. You know, I had like, I remember production come to my house and interviewing me and saying, I remember it was, it was about to, we were about to go, you know, start taping. And they said to me, so what are you passionate about? And I was like, 
what are you talking about? What am I passionate about? Nobody's ever asked me that before. And I, I never had to answer. I never even had to think about it. I'm passionate about my family and I'm passionate about my kids, you know, and I'm passionate about being in the kitchen. And they were like, okay, cool. That's great. And so I thought, yeah, this is, this could be cool. This would be fun. I don't know what they're going to follow me and do, but every single scene was me in the kitchen. And when my husband and I decided to do this, you know, he was more for it than I was. I was like, <laughs> going to invade my privacy, you know, and it wasn't the show that it is now either. So right. um, there was a little bit of drama, but it wasn't anything like what it is now. How it do you was, think it's different now versus then? Before it was family drama, you know, mm-hmm. and everybody, my, our show specifically, and everybody has family drama, everyone. And so it was very relatable. Some of the things were maybe to the extreme, like, you know, the fights and stuff like that. But I'm sure you could think back being of an Italian heritage and, you know, a lot of passionate heritages are in the same oh way. Gosh. They are very expressive <laughs> and sometimes things get out of hand. But now put cameras there and it gets magnified. And then it's replayed over and over and over again. And so those emotions are stirred up over and over again. So it does become very sensationalized. You know, I had no idea it was going to turn to that. For me, having an argument with, say, my sister or one of my brothers or something like that was just that. It was an argument. And it was, it sometimes got really loud and sometimes it got very emotional and it got ugly sometimes, but two days later or a day later, and I mean, with my sister, it was always like an hour later. Um, I love you. <laughs> How, I, I, oh, you know, Rosie, I love Rosie. Yeah, yeah she's <laughs> great. Like, I, I, I'm sorry for the way things came out. I love you. Can we move past it? Like, and it's over. You know, Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, you love each other. And, you know, I said something I shouldn't have said, or I still believe what I said, and we're not going to agree on this, but it's okay because I still love you and I'm still here for you. But in the show, when it's constantly, everybody's got their two cents to put into it, it just gets out of control. And that's where I just couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around that in the beginning that, okay, we discussed this. We resolved it. Now let's move past it. Why do we have to keep talking about this? But, you know, everybody's got an opinion and that's what makes a show, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm <laughs> curious because you were ultimately in a creative partnership with all those women. You're yeah. in somewhat of a business partnership with them. How did that affect the way you view going into business or partnering with someone? And like, are you more apprehensive now or do you still go in with the same open heart? I think I'm much more careful about sharing my ideas with certain people, much more cautious of giving too much information, you know, right off the bat, you know, because when you do have a, it's such a, it's such a heartbreaking thing when you come up with an idea creatively and it is your idea and then you share it with someone and then, you know, you see them do it before you, you get a chance to do it. Did that happen on the show? It happened with conversations, actually. Uh, It happened where I would share my thoughts on something and that segment maybe didn't get aired, but somebody else saying exactly what I said in another scene after I said it, it got played and aired and they got airtime for it. And they got, you know, it was their idea or it was their you know, their, uh, advice or something like that. So creative, you creatively ideas and, oh, oh, and happen so much. And I hate to say it's storyline because I don't like the fact that that's what everything is now is storyline. For me, this was my reality. I wasn't doing anything for a story. And so then I would see things that I was doing in my real life that was true to me. And then all of a sudden they, they wouldn't follow it. And then all of a sudden somebody else had that storyline and it was like, wait a minute, but that's my reality. That's not a story. You know what I mean? That's not a story. It's my story, not your story, but you're making it up. You know, they were very good. Like the reality was that everybody's 
life isn't so unbelievably glamorous or unbelievably interesting. But when they take somebody else's ideas and make it theirs, then it becomes their storyline. Wow. I never yeah. would have even thought of something like that. <laughs> like, like, and I'm sure you didn't either. How could you have known that that's the way wow. speaking a sentence would play out? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. Oh, and gosh. It, you know, the viewers see it. The viewers see it. I remember when I was started and I was baking and I was cooking and I was doing things in the kitchen all the time. And they would say, you know, people, I would get comments on my social media or emails or inboxes and things like that. Oh my God, we know that you really love cooking because you are comfortable there and you are, you're, you're happiest there. And, or your parenting is so you're like, I wasn't dubbed a good mom because I decided that was going to be my story. I put the work in. I didn't just show up with an apron one day in a spatula and say I was going to be a baker or I was going to cook. Yes, I'm going to be the new cook on the show. No, that's what I was doing. That's, you know, I would tell them, okay, guys, you got to get out of my kitchen with these cameras because I got to get dinner on the table. And they were like, no, no, we won't bother you. We won't bother you. All right, great. If you're good with all these cameras, then you could sit down and eat with us, you know? Um, <laughs> you got to put the work in. You got to put the work in. There's no way, no shortcuts. Put the work in. Fail, scrape, burn your hands, cut your fingers sometimes from, from the knife. You know, uh, if you're going to, you're going to be a marathon runner, you're going to get a few shin splints. You know, you're not just going to be that person overnight. Right. How do you think the show helped or hurt you creatively? I don't know if it helped or, or hurt. I, it gave me the confidence, I would have to say definitely, to um, realize my abilities a little bit more than I, I ever, you know, like I said earlier, I, I, I took my gifts for granted. A lot, of, a lot of things that I would do normally, I got so much attention for doing things that I did every day. And I thought to like being a good mom or being in the kitchen, I took that for granted. I never thought that I was worthy of making a business of it. I mean, I dreamed about it. I thought about it, but it wasn't something that I really thought I could take that next step. So I think it gave me a lot of confidence. There's yeah. a silver lining, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So from that perspective, if you had to like go back and give yourself one piece of advice when you were starting everything out, what would you say to yourself? Trust myself. Trust my gut. Mm. You know, do more of what feels really good. Do more it. of it. Yeah. So when you left the show, you pivoted into like not one business, but like 15 <laughs> businesses. So how did you prepare yourself for putting your creative energy elsewhere? Because, you know, not a lot of people maybe relate to being a reality star and then leaving the show and then going to do something else. But a lot of us leave a job to then go toward a more creative path. So how did you pivot your energy toward what you were going to do next as you were like winding down on the reality show? Well, I started, I, I wrote the cookbook and that took, that took a lot of time. Like I was writing that while I was filming and they didn't cover any of that. They didn't cover any of that stuff. Why do you think that show. is? Uh, you know, I guess they were, I guess it, it got to a point where so many people were doing these businesses and trying to make money off the show or whatever. And I wasn't, I really, I was just doing it cause I loved doing it. And everybody was asking me for recipes and then a publisher reached out to me. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll write a book. You know what? I put on 35 pounds writing that book. I'm still trying to lose it. I'm testing all the rest. You look literally phenomenal to me, Kathy. Oh, I'm, and I'm not, you. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. Like <laughs> I think that you look better now than you did when you were on the show. Uh, thank you. But seriously, no, you look real. It's amazing. Your face is like, you. I, you look like a, you thank know, you. a I'm starlet. Oh, uh, thank you. I'm yeah. stressed, but I'm also, you know, there's something to be said about being really thin. It does make you look older with your face. You know, when your skin is plumped up, <laughs> you do look a little bit younger, but yeah, I was testing every recipe every single day over and over and over again. And so when I 
I started the book. I wrote the book. It's become really successful. I put a lot of my heart and soul into it. And then from there, you know, it was such a big achievement. It also, again, gave me the confidence to do something next, to do something else. And, um, I think you have to surround yourself with the people that can do the things that you can't do and do them better. You know, know your limitations, like the business end of it. My husband handles that part. He, I'm learning, but I have to, I had to learn to let him take over and, and, and school me on it all. <laughs> um, and then with uh, opening up Pizza Love, I partnered with people that know the business. I don't know anything about the restaurant business. And I partnered with people that did know the business and they are managing and they have the time and realize that I didn't have the time to be there every single day. And so put your trust in people that can do that, fulfill that end of, of the business. You know, this might be a similar question, but I'm going to ask it just in case. You're like mm -hmm. such a multitasker, multi-passionate creative. You've got your cookbooks, your restaurant, Pizza Love, uh, Jewelry Line, your podcast. You've got your Indulge Line. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. What's your advice for somebody who is also a multi-passionate creative and balancing several different big projects? Yeah, that's a hard one because a lot of times you're brain is so busy mm -hmm. that the creativity, you get caught up in the, the business end of it. And that really puts a damper on the creative end, you know? So I think in that respect, you have to learn how to delegate and let people do what they do better and, and have, and surround yourself with people that can take those, take those duties off of you. Because one thing I hate to do is paperwork and, and oh, bookkeeping. I hate it so much. Like I have a stack. It's like a slow death. It really is. <laughs> and so I know when that needs to be done, I can't, it's blocking everything else creatively. And so, I, you know, there's personal things that I have to take care of myself, but if it's for the business end, I have people that do that and, I, and I'm, I'm happy to let them do that. My husband does most of that stuff. And so he, he's really good at it and he blows through it. He doesn't really like doing it either, but he's really good at it. So, you know, we all have a role, you know, let's talk a little bit about your amazing podcast, eat, live, uh -huh. love, indulge. I know you started it because you felt the need to expand your creative life. So can you tell me a little bit about how you came to that realization and what the podcast is all about? So Eat, Live, Love, Indulge came about, I was feeling, it was around this time of the year, last year, and I was just in like a creative black hole. I just felt like I was still, and I, I wasn't expressing enough creativity. I was, I, you know, I was connecting with my Instagram and my social media followers on, on a certain level, but people wanted more. People like kept asking for like, I'd love to talk to you. I want to hear what you're doing. I want, I want, why aren't you back on the show anymore? It was, it was all that stuff. We want to hear from your family and how much I wish I could be invited to your dinner table. You have so many interesting people all around you all the time. And so I, I just, I don't know. And I, I was talking to a friend of mine who actually lives on the West coast and we started talking and he says, what's going on with you? He calls me mom. I don't Aww. know if you know Lawrence Sarian. He lives in LA. He's on TV. And oh, no, I don't. Yeah. I'd love to meet him. Yeah, he's great. He's on um, Home and Family. Oh, um, awesome. Yeah. And so he said, well, mom, what's, what's happening? What's going on? What, what are you feeling? And I said, you know, I think I have to figure out a way to get, everybody wants to be invited for dinner and I want to invite everybody for dinner, but like, they want to hear about it, what we had for dinner. And so I said, I'm thinking of a podcast. And so he said, well, then you should do it. And it shouldn't be that um, serious. It shouldn't be that heavily produced. It should just be you inviting your friends to dinner, talking about the food that, that, that you're making. It should be about the travel that you just took, 
it, like the trips that you just went on, it should be a conversation about what's going on with your friends' lives and anything. It could be, it could be anything. And so it, that's where the whole idea of was eat, talk about what you're living through, talk about the things that you love and like indulge me in some great conversation. Mm, and, and it's great. Oh my gosh. I just yeah. listened to the one you did with, what was her? She's the beauty queen who has like seven, oh, yeah. several amazing businesses. Jacqueline yes. is her Jacqueline, name, I think. Jacqueline Gray, um, yes. And so many great tips that you give too, in addition to, you know, talking about more beautiful moments of life. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you were talking just now, it kind of brought me to this thought, which is when we are in our struggle to pursue a creative life, we often forget to live. And something that's something I realized at the end of last year. I'm like, wow, I did all these things. I put out my first single. I launched my podcast. I've produced all these big shows. But I feel like I haven't lived and I haven't enjoyed my life and I haven't had fun. So my goal this year is to have fun and enjoy my life in addition to the other things I'm doing. For me and people like me, like how can we start to enjoy the little moments a little bit more? Well, that brings me back to after my daughter, her first surgery and her recovery. My husband was a crazy, crazy workaholic. Always, always work, work. You know, he worked in the, he owned service station. So he was open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And that was always looming in the background. You know, we knew that check on things, check on the business, check on this. And so after my daughter you know, she recovered and she was feeling good and we never expected that to happen to her. And we started adopting this mentality in our family is grab the good. So mm. today is a great day. Let's go live it. You know, cause you don't know what the, you know, there's so many unexpected in life. And so every day is a holiday and every day is a reason to do something and have fun and, and, and laugh or, enjoy this meal together. Um, and I remember when, when I, my parents, when my father was still alive and I remember Tuesdays was, Oh, or Wednesday or whatever. Let's be together. It didn't have to be a celebration or a reason or a special holiday. Let's just do it. Just, just get out there and do it and have fun and don't take life so serious because there's enough things in life that are serious that are going to weigh you down. Yeah. And I think it's like, I think that is part of pursuing a creative life and claiming the right to take up space is realizing that you just being alive is enough of a reason to enjoy life. Like you don't have to wait to be good enough, quote unquote, to enjoy your life or to have earned it. You're alive and you were put on this earth for a reason. And part of that reason was to enjoy life and to, to bring joy to yourself and others. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're, it, it's, if there's a creative project, I, I put something up on my Instagram the other day and I think I might've tagged you in it. It's like, don't be afraid to fail at that creative project because in that failure, there's going to be so many lessons, but guess what? You may just really run with it and you may succeed and you probably will. And in that process, if you keep waiting for the perfect time, it's never the perfect time. The perfect time is when the idea sparks, feel it, live it, go with it. Just, just get out there. And, mm-hmm. and don't you feel like when, when you are around, when you're in that process, something else comes from it and it's like, oh my God, I never thought it was going to be this good. Always. One thing leads to another leads to another. Exactly. One thing I love, I mean, that's such a good lesson. And something else that I love is that you're really taking on teaching and you've got Kathy O'Keeley's Real Culinary Kitchen and you're using it to motivate students to turn their passions with food into successful businesses. Mm -hmm. This is uh, with Remington College. It's in Memphis, right? Yes, it's in Memphis. Okay. Tell me, I love this so much, Kathy. Tell me how this idea came about. So what happened was a few years when I wrote my cookbook, I worked together with a woman that was part of another uh, education program and they had a cooking school. That's another thing too. Everyone that you meet in life is, is there for a reason. And we worked together really well. And then she had since left that position 
and then decided to open up another school or, or partner with a different college. And, and out of the blue called me and said, you know, I'm going to partner with this, you know, I'm working with the other uh, school now and it's a nonprofit school that's going to provide opportunities for people that wouldn't necessarily be able to afford a culinary pro- a traditional mm. culinary program. And it's going to teach people, we want the program to incorporate basic kitchen essentials for people that want to enter into the culinary world, but they just don't know how to take the first step. And the culinary world is a great place for anyone to fit in. You know, if you're not a traditional education, you know, like going to college isn't your thing, or you've, you've had a rough road and you can't get a, a traditional job or, or a conventional job in an office or something like that, or it doesn't work for you. It's a great place to be creative and you, there's so much growth in a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. And you or, can be a business person with it too. Exactly. You could start a food truck. You could start your own business. So there's something for everyone. The students are very motivated. It's it, like I said, it's a nonprofit, so it's not costing the students a, a ton of money to get involved. Uh, we have an enrollment that is revolving. So if you miss this month, you could always get involved next month. And I'm having so much fun with it. And starting out some, you know, teaching essentials is starting these students off with basics and working the way up. And that's, that's the best way to get started, you know? I love it. I can't wait to hear all the success stories that come out of it. It's really a beautiful thing you're doing. Thank you. So we've talked a lot about fear today. What is your current relationship with fear? How do you work toward taking it out of the driver's seat? And what's your advice for someone who's currently crippled by fear? You know what? At this point in my life, I've learned to like, I think I'm more afraid of things of of the unknown, you know, more Mm -hmm. so, but like as if, you know, stupid things that, that could, that aren't going to happen, but that, that could potentially happen, but not so afraid to be myself anymore, you know, and express myself as much that ignore that. Cause what's, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, like, it's like, what's holding you back? Stop, hold, stop holding yourself back. And like, okay, I might sound stupid. Okay. Everybody has those stupid moments, you know, or it may not come out right. Okay. You try it again. So like really fear is just such a, it's, it's such a fake thing. It's, you're still going to be loved because what, what we're, a lot of times what we're afraid of is that we're, if you break down fear that we're not going to be loved, right? Mm-hmm. You're always going to be loved. You know, you're always going to feel love from wherever it is, like whoever you are, don't, don't think that fear necessarily is the opposite of love because you'll still be loved. You'll still be happy. And if you, you allow that fear to hold you back, you're losing, losing out on so much. Yeah. Your love, no matter what. And also your love, like you being lovable isn't predicated on whether or not you succeed. If you succeed, right. great. If you don't, that's okay. Learn from it. But you're still lovable regardless of your outside exploits. That's got exactly. nothing to do with your innate right to be loved, to love back, and to exist on this earth. Exactly. And then the other thing is too, if you're that fearful of something, then start out, take a baby step. You know, mm-hmm. learn, you know, take baby steps and, and, and build on it and learn and get that confidence little by little. And then you'll look back and you'll say, what was I, what was I even afraid of? Because this is so great, you know, take lessen your risk then if, if you're that right. fearful, you know, as you know, I believe creativity is deeply connected to the inner child. So I'm wondering if you and little Kathy were standing in the same room, looking at each other, what do you think the younger version of you would say to you now and why? Thank you. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much because you took, you followed your heart and you let those finger painting, that, that finger painting, you, you, you let those finger painting colors splash throughout your, your whole life. So thanks for letting me get my hands 
and the finger paint and the food coloring and the dough. <laughs> oh, so beautiful. And what would you say to her and why? Don't stop. Keep doing it. Keep doing what makes you feel alive. Thank you so much for listening and to my amazing guest, Kathy Wakili. For more information on Kathy, follow her on social media at Kathy Wakili. That's K-A-T-H-Y-W-A-K-I-L-E. You can also follow her at Indulge by Kathy for information on her cookbooks, her dessert line, and her podcast. Her restaurant is at PizzaLove underscore 201, and her website is KathyWakiliDesserts.com. You can listen to her podcast, Eat, Live, Love, Indulge on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure, again, to check out my episode, which is live today. And again, thank you. If you enjoy the show, the best way to share that is by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts and following it on Spotify. If you really like the show, tell a friend about it and also take a screenshot of yourself listening and share it to your Instagram stories. Tag at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso and I will repost it. My wish for you this week is that you, like Kathy, start thinking about what lights you up and follow that. You never know where it could lead. It could become a professional journey or it could lead to happiness, which would be the biggest victory of all. I love you, and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.